Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is TV Take, Variety's television podcast. I'm Daniel Holloway. Today, TV reporter Joe Otterson talks with Melissa Rosenberg, executive producer of Netflix's Jessica Jones. Later, critics Daniel D'Addario and Caroline Framke will discuss the return of another Netflix drama, Stranger Things. Stay tuned. Hi, this is uh, Joe Otterson, and I am here today with the very talented and very punctual Melissa Rosenberg. Uh, (laughs) Melissa, thank you for joining me. Great to be here. Um, So real quick before we get started, I just want to say, so this interview should be dropping uh, the day Jessica Jones Season 3 comes out, so uh, we're probably going to get into some spoilers in this conversation, so if you have not seen the season yet, uh, you may want to wait to listen to this until after you've seen the episodes. So with all that out of the way, Melissa... Um, I don't want to dwell too much on this, but I'm just really curious. Um, and so we already know that there's not going to be a season four of Jessica Jones. So I'm wondering, at what point in the process of making season three did you know that this was going to be the last season? Toward the end uh, was when we, we realized that wasn't happening. But I had actually made the decision to move on right. myself after season three. And that was I made that decision around mid-season. Mm-hmm. And then so, um, so obviously then that decision to end the show at this season didn't really affect how you approached, I take it, like the storytelling or anything in season three? It did for the end because we realized, you know, as with all TV, storytelling, you are always leaving as many doors open as possible to give yourself story for future episodes. So we had actually been ending it on a cliffhanger and realized, <laughs> okay. oh, that's not going to play. So we were fortunate enough to have enough uh, advanced notice that we were really able to shift around the stories for the last several episodes and, and bring it to a satisfying conclusion. Okay, cool. Um, and so then what was your thought process then going into this season? Like what were you hoping to accomplish with season three after the, the you know, traumatic events at the end of season two? What we really wanted to do was to have Jessica's character look forward. The first two seasons were very much about her digging into her past, her past trauma, her family history, her origins, all of that. And uh, she has come to some sort of uh, conclusion with those. And so now it was about, let's see, what what does it look like for her to move forward? What is her place in the world? Can she find her place in the world? Mm Mm-hmm. And, of course, um, a big thing this season is the relationship between Jessica and Trish. Trish, at the end of season two, you know, killed Jessica's mother. Um, and now, of course, in this season, Trish, uh, you know, it turns out the experiment works. She herself has powers, but there's still a lot of tension between them, obviously, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, so can you kind of just describe what's their dynamic going into this season, and then how does it evolve as the season goes on? Mm-hmm. The Jessica-Trish story has really been at the core of this entire series you know all three seasons are are very much about their relationship season three will take them into a a completely new place because of trisha's new powers and they're now at least from a a physical point of view they're at the same they're they're equals they both have power uh, they both can defend themselves and fight for good or bad or all all that Um, how they approach that is is a very uh 
is what brings about the conflict. Because Jessica has always been someone who who sees all the different angles, who has a very hard time seeing things in black and white. It's always shades of gray, which make being a hero very complicated because who's all good or who's all bad? And, you know, where do you put those, uh, your focus? With Trish, has always been, she's always been black and white. Uh, she's really got a very clear sense of right and wrong. And that was the role she played for Jessica early on, is having that sort of uh, moral compass that Jessica relied on. That is going to create some issues for them and decisions they make and and their relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because one thing I really loved, um, I think it's episode two where you kind of get Trish's kind of origin story, so to speak, as she's coming into her own with these powers. And um, I just loved it where you just saw... She goes through these phases where, you know, she's basically kind of like writing these like uh, like letters to Jessica, basically, where she's kind of saying like, you know, I, I'm uh, like, sorry, like, you know, I want us to still be friends, essentially. But then, the, you know, the one that Jessica eventually sees is her telling Jessica, like, I was right for what I did and you kind of need to just get over it, basically. And um, but they but eventually, though, they come together with this really great like partnership. and They've always had this really great dynamic together. And so um, was there anything different as you approach that in this season with their dynamic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, you, there's always been this desire, both of them have always had this desire to be able to come together and stay together. And, and they're, they've also always sought a partner in, in their, you know, they're, they're both very isolated in their own world. So it would have been the perfect, it, it is the perfect team up. They really complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, they get to be together. It's it's a fun, you know. It's sort of the culmination of a three seasons long arc between them. Mm-hmm. And then, just speaking of relationships, um, Jessica gets involved in you know. I mean, all of her relationships are pretty you know hectic and however you want to describe them. But in this season, she um, gets romantically involved with Eric, uh, played by Ben Walker, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I just love their dynamic together because you first meet them. He comes into you know her, her comes into the bar with her, and they're having their kind of like just sarcastic banter back and forth, and that leads to a hookup. But then of course Jessica gets stabbed, um, which is the you know bad way to end any date. Um, <laughs> and so no, but their their dynamic was really great too. And so was that kind of more like you were talking about like Jessica looking forward, like now here's a chance for her to actually be involved with someone romantically, which we haven't really seen since season one when she was with uh, Luke Cage. You know, ben Walker, by the way, Tony nominated Ben Walker. Mm-hmm. Very exciting for him. Um, the character of Eric Gelden is someone who challenges Jessica in a new way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also has powers, mm-hmm. which he despises and, and which bring him nothing but pain. Uh, but for her, he's the ultimate in some ways, the ultimate partner, even more so than Trish, in that he can absolutely concretely see whether someone is good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's a very, so it's a very concrete, uh, tangible skill set that he has, and one that has evaded her her entire life. Mm-hmm. So that's attractive about him, but there's all this other baggage that comes with him. Mostly what's fun about them is that they, they, act, they laugh together. They have fun. They're, uh, it's, it's delightful to see them together. It shows us a new side of Jessica. Mm-hmm. 
No, yeah, I loved um, just speaking of his his powers. So yeah, he just gets like 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 migraines essentially. He's how he describes it when he's around someone. Like depending on how evil they are, and there's just that scene where he where Salinger has him tied up and just I mean he like gets close up to him where I mean his eyes are bleeding essentially, right? Yeah. And, like I was watching that earlier, and it was just like, oh my god, it's just brutal. Um, no, but but speaking of you know Gregory Salinger, then um, Jeremy Bob plays Gregory Salinger, the you know uh, very cold, calculating, just vicious serial killer in this season. Um, and they, the way it seemed to me was he he hates anyone who has an unfair advantage in life. Anyone who has like a leg up in anything to him deserves some kind of punishment. And so why was that the right villain uh, for this season for Jessica and, and Trish to go up against? Uh, Salinger is a, a civilian. He's, he has no powers. Um, he is exceedingly smart, but he is, other than that, he's, is, you know, a, a normal human being. Mm. We wanted to pit Jessica against someone who wasn't a, a super so that she would have to utilize other skill sets in order to be with him. When she's battling a super, you know, the rule of law kind of goes out the window because you're dealing with a, a, a powered person. So she can use all those, you know, basically brute force. When you're dealing with a civilian, particularly one who really knows how to manipulate the law and use it to his advantage, she's restricted in a way that she rarely is. So it's, it's fun to watch her have to battle against that. Mm-hmm. I want to shout out to just one thing I love about all these, these Marvel Netflix shows is they're just so well cast. And I mean, Jeremy Bob, just like as, as Salinger, was just so perfectly creepy. Like, cause I'm not really a big fan of serial killer stuff anyway, but he in particular just, he just, he just puts on like that cold, like mask of like, you know, when you just see like, oh, not even a mask, when he takes off like the mask of being a normal person and just becomes like who he really is. Just like, oh, that's just terrifying. Working with Jeremy was, was uh, fantastic. We, we knew right away that he was the perfect one just from his taped audition. It was so dead on. We didn't even really know who the character was until J- Jeremy was in that part. Mm-hmm. And then I worked really closely with him in terms of really building the character out. I really didn't have a full sense of him and the complexities behind that blank stare uh, until Jeremy and I really dug in together. So he's, he's really uh, a big uh, architect of that character as well. And at what point did like the, the big like tanker thing full of human body parts and vacuum bags come into the conversation? Because that, again, was just such a terrifying image. Uh, that probably would have been brought into the conversation by Scott Reynolds, who was my uh, exec- another executive producer on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and I spent four years together on Dexter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were, we were very cognizant of trying not to do <laughs> Dexter, although right. to some degree Dexter kind of follows us both around. Uh, <laughs> but we, we knew we wanted to build to, to that uh, very soon, we, we we weren't interested in the the who done it. We were interested in the why done it and how to stop him. Mm-hmm. So it's really episode five, I think, that all of that happens. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, um, I have to give another shout out to to uh, Carrie Ann Moss as Jerry Hogarth. Um, just again, just tour de force performance this season. Um, she uh, is obviously suffering from it's uh, MS, right? She's uh, ALS. ALS, excuse me. And um, but th- this season it was really interesting. So she just tries to kind of like reconnect with a former uh, college flame, 
or college girlfriend rather, and um, of course, just you know that doesn't exactly go smoothly as you know these things seldom do. Um, so, just what was the um, thought process going into her character arc uh, for this season? Well, it was, it was the same. It all began in the same place where we began with all the characters, which is uh, following Jessica's theme, thematic arc of looking toward the future. All the characters are, in one way or another, doing that, trying to find their place in the world or their where they, how they want to live their lives. With Jerry Hogarth, she knows exactly what her future is. So it's about for her planning for that and anticipating that. So her entire season three arc is every everything about the legacy she's going to leave behind and how she's going to go out. Mm-hmm. And she want does not want to go out alone. Uh, and she would she wants to go out with someone who trusts who she trusts, which is there are no such people <laughs> in the world, but this one. This woman who she was in love with in college was someone she knows is a genuinely good human being, and she does actually trust her. So it's, it's a uh, uh, Hail Mary for her. Mm-hmm. And one thing that really surprised me was, um, so Jerry and uh, Kith, right, is uh, her former college girlfriend. Um, they, they eventually, you know, reconnect and they rekindle some kind of relationship, and Kith is now married, um, but then she and Jerry begin a romantic relationship, but then Kith tells her, you know, oh, well, my husband and I have an open marriage after our daughter died, so, you know, but then Jerry, it's almost, can she, like, just not help herself to, like, just destroy the marriage, or is just she just has to possess this woman completely rather than let, rather than share her with someone else? Jerry Hogarth, uh, Wants what she wants. <laughs> you know, she is uh, profoundly narcissistic and, and uh, you know, self-centered. And so she doesn't really consider what anyone else may want or need unless that's to her advantage, unless that brings her something she wants. So she re- reconnects with Kith, realizes the the flame is still alive, and wants Kith totally and completely with her. She does not want to share anything. Jerry's not a sharer. <laughs> so she sets about doing, justifying in her mind that is for, for, for Kith's own good and benefit, sets about destroying that marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she does a fantastic job of that. She does. And everything that she does, she does a fantastic She's job. She's very skilled at uh, what she does, yes. <laughs> and then um, finally... Uh, what are just like what what are your your closing thoughts now with this you know kind of being the last chapter for Jessica Jones what are your final thoughts on the character and the series and just what would you like to leave fans with as the show uh you know rides off into the sunset What I really want the fans to experience is that this was a three season arc this was a these are three acts of the same play so that they find, come to the end and feel like they've taken a journey with Jessica, that they've taken a journey with all the characters and uh, have really gone into some really uh, juicy places. And, you know, first and foremost, I want them to be entertained. <laughs> uh, but I also, you know, hopefully they, they walk away with the experience of having seen a woman, several women, in roles that are complex, flawed, powerful damaged all of those things that women have typically not been uh, given those roles for. You know, they're not necessarily written that way. And I, I, I love that there are so many more of them now than when we first started, 
Um, not that we in any way take credit for that, but it's just nice to see that you know more and more uh, roles for women are being created and, and are just fascinating. And I'm as, a, as an avid TV watcher, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Very good. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for being here. And, um, yeah, you can catch Jessica Jones Season 3, June 14th on Netflix. Stranger Things returns for a third season on Netflix July 4th. Caroline Framke and Daniel D'Addario talked about the show's impact. The most discussed drama left on the air is returning over 4th of July weekend. And if history is guide, soon enough... Everyone on your social media feeds will be discussing the exploits of a band of kids in 80s Indiana. This is Stranger Things, the Netflix sensation about uh, kids fighting off the forces of the underworld in Reagan's America. Uh, This show is, while we'll never know exactly how many people are watching it, we know that everyone talks about it. It was kind of Netflix's first out-of-the-box sensation. And Caroline, I'm curious why you think that was. Yeah, at some point it just became truly inescapable. And by at some point, I mean immediately. It became immediately inescapable. Uh, And I think there are a lot of factors there. One is the obvious uh, 80s homage um, to a bunch of genres that a lot of people already love. So there's a lot of the, oh, look at that. It's that thing I love factor, which you will see if you go on the internet and see any 90s thing. It's things 80s kids will love, you know? Uh, The other one I think that is important to point out is that um, while Netflix original programming has been around since 2013 with House of Cards and then Orange is the New Black, I think those dramas showed that Netflix could do what networks were doing, but also could do what cable networks weren't and should be doing maybe filling a gap filling a gap exactly but then stranger things came along and showed what's how streaming networks could kind of monopolize the conversation by really making their shows addictive in a way that dropping a show every week was it's not quite the same thing there's sort of this rush to consume it all at once and i think stranger things does that really well for whatever you think of stranger things um it's the kind of show that really encourages you to keep going to there's cliffhangers everywhere it feels like reading you know a really a really good kids book and wanting to stay up all night to finish it it really encourages conversation you want to talk to your friends about the twists and turns and the only way you can really do that is if you've watched the whole thing especially now that everyone's very terrified of spoilers (laughs) so i think uh for a lot of reasons it kind of hit a bunch of a bunch of pressure points in terms of how we're consuming pop culture or how it can be consumed that i think really stood to make it a huge thing. I don't know if that will keep up forever, but so, like, the second season was just as huge, it felt like. I don't know if you felt yeah, the same Yeah, and I think a lot of people expected the show to kind of fall on its face, both qualitatively and in perceived viewership and attention, and it definitely didn't. I think I agree with you that it's kind of at least a double-barreled phenomenon between the subject matter and the style, which are designed to be fun, juicy, ripping, gripping, all these adjectives we associate with like the most the things that bring out the kid in us and in format whereby episodes end with cliffhangers over and beyond anything that I've seen in TV since the days of Alias. It's kind of perfectly built to accommodate uh, binge viewing so much so that while I was a casual fan and appreciator of the first two seasons, 
I, for instance, have basically no recollection of what happened in season two other than that it existed on a larger scale and that the tunnels were big. Uh, it's I don't really remember character moments because I watched it in this feverish state. And I think maybe that represents a problem for Netflix in that it has been a year and a half since uh, Stranger Things was last put out a new season. At the same time, the archives are all still there for people who care. And I don't think they have many concerns about this show at all. Yeah, I think. And for them, the fever state of watching it all and then being like, what just happened That's is what kind want. of the point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I think it's just the kind of show where, I mean, we're going to write a review. I just don't think, like, this is the kind of show that's kind of impervious to reviews. The people who love it are going to love it. It's going to be big kind of no matter what. Yeah, Um, the only kind of, like, writing or analysis that I think this show really bears up under is, like, explaining the references. Oh, yeah, Easter egg (laughs) stuff is huge. Like, you're just like, what's that? It feels like a Where's Waldo of, like, where's the the reference that you want to, like, talk about today? Which is um, funny because I do think that this is a show, this is a show, for instance, that has in its first two seasons been heavily nominated at the Emmys, for instance, and has not really won any major Emmys. And I think part part of that is that people do appreciate how kind of pathbreaking it is. But I do think that, you know, even industry people watch it in the way that it's intended to be consumed. And I do think some of that nuance gets lost. Like, I do think, for instance, Winona Ryder gives a real performance on Stranger Things. Uh, you know, I she's going for something. Uh, yeah, sorry. For the, for the <laughs> listeners at home, I was making a eh, face. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a facial equivalent of a shrug. I and, love Winona Ryder. The fact that she's in this also speaks to, like, what it's going for. Absolutely. And that was the genius thing, was that the most high-profile person on the show is... You know, for all her achievements to the present day, very firmly associated with a time and a place and uh, an aesthetic of the nostalgic past that we look back on fondly. Yeah, but I'm not someone who begrudges the show for embracing that. I do think that there are a bunch of people who are like, yeah, we've seen this enough. Why do we have to keep retreading this? And I'm just like, if you're looking for something that's not an 80s retread then don't watch Stranger Things like that's what the show is that's what it's going to be forever and the creators make no apology about they're not Trojan horsing it in it's very much kind of on its face what it is and I think that they are students of the medium I think it is a legitimate thing for them to be obsessed with they obviously come by it honestly and I kind of question like what is wrong with that in a world where you know for instance Quentin Tarantino one of the biggest directors around has been until recently pretty widely acclaimed across the board for films that are pastiches of somewhat more respectable stuff I think that the fact that they're doing a pastiche of Amblin films from the 80s makes it seem a little unserious because those are kids stuff but I do think they hit on some kind of resonant and poignant things. I mean, anecdotally, it certainly seems as though the people in my life who watch and are excited about Stranger Things are not, in fact, the teens and young people that I come across. They're older people. I don't I don't know that this has a huge teen following. Yeah, I don't mind it. I mean, sure, do I wish some of the women characters were characters, were actual people? Sure. <laughs> but we'll see if that happens in season three. But it's also why I like the show taking 
um, a couple different swings. There was one swing it took in the second season. I wanted. I was to hoping you'd get to this in this in this bit of the, in yes, the segment. Yes, because we are staunch defenders of an episode that apparently you all hated, but I didn't know that until I went on the internet after I watched it when Eleven took off from Hawkins and had her own sort of mini adventure in the city. Had her own like one off episode and like fell in with a group of like street punks. And I just thought it was so fun and it was so evocative of like a different, a slightly different 80s thing. And I was like, sure, yeah, why not try this if you're going to be going here? Well, and when I thought, uh, I thought of it as you were describing how you often feel as though the female characters on Stranger Things are underserved. I'll grant you that Eleven is, in a very literal sense, kind of not really a human. Uh, But she's certainly, Millie Bobby Brown, the actor, certainly got a fair bit to play and played it very nicely and finding this community of kind of stereotypical like leather jacket wearing 80s street punks and she is it was a very sweet episode there are a lot of opinions i hold that i'm like ooh, (laughs) wait till they get a load of this one but i I genuinely didn't even realize i was being a contrarian when i watched it i was like oh this sticks out this is this is fun so it wasn't like when you watch westworld and are like (laughs) oh we will get we will do a westworld season three preview and you will all see the truth (laughs) i don't yeah i mean season three looks like a totally different animal but speaking of that i mean (laughs) (laughs) well hopefully season three of stranger things as it unfolds gives us a lot to talk about but if it doesn't there's always more tv where that came from Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with Tom Jennings of National Geographic's Apollo, Missions to the Moon. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.